This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at How Stuff Works. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous advances we've seen in science, technology, and culture. This week, schools in the United States are suspending twice as many students as in previous decades, and this type of punishment may have lasting effects. Unrelated, we answer the age-old question, do smartphones really charge faster in airplane mode? But first, Christian Sager, co-host of a podcast you might have heard of called Stuff to Blow Your Mind, takes us on a deep dive into the history behind one of America's iconic fictional heroes, Wonder Woman. 2016 wasn't a kind year to Wonder Woman, especially considering it was her 75th birthday. In March, the Princess of the Amazons made her big screen debut in the critically panned slugfest Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. Then, she was awarded an honorary United Nations ambassadorship for women and girls, only to have it revoked two months into its planned 12-month campaign. On the comic book side, the critically acclaimed Legend of Wonder Woman series was canceled abruptly, and artist Frank Cho threw a public fit when he couldn't draw Wonder Woman's underwear on a comic book cover. In the wake of this no-good, very bad year, it's worth remembering there's a secret origin behind Wonder Woman, one that only a few storytellers are willing to commemorate. Her creator, William Moulton Marston, saw Wonder Woman comics as an educational opportunity to teach readers about his beliefs, controversial both at the time and today. Much has been previously written on this, but writer Jill Lepore pulled all the pieces together in her 2014 book, The Secret History of Wonder Woman. Marston had three main fixations he baked into Wonder Woman's DNA, the detection of lies, a matriarchal uprising, and sexualized bondage. Firstly, Marston is widely acknowledged as inventing the systolic blood pressure test that was eventually developed into the lie detector. 
The gadget he put together wasn't much more than a stethoscope and a blood pressure cuff, which is fairly basic compared to the digital polygraphs forensic psychophysiologists utilize today. They operate on the same principle, though, that being deceptive produces anxiety, leading to physical changes in the human body's blood pressure, heart rate, respiration, and conductivity. But there's evidence that it wasn't Marston who first came up with this idea. Instead, his wife, Elizabeth Holloway, was the one who suggested it after she noticed her blood pressure increase when she was upset. Regardless, the lie detector's accuracy is as debatable now as it was in 1922 when Marston tried to introduce it into court cases. So Marston turned to fiction instead and created Wonder Woman's golden lasso of truth that forces those in its thrall to reveal their deceptions. In addition to marrying Holloway, Marston also partnered with his former student, Olive Byrne. The three lived together in polyamory, with Marston fathering children with both women. Byrne's aunt was feminist Margaret Sanger, whose philosophies influenced Marston and subsequently the comic books he wrote. He had already supported women's rights in the Harvard Men's League for Women's Suffrage, but Marston also worked as a lab assistant under Harvard psychologist Hugo Munstenberg, who was known to oppose the right to vote for women. This confluence led Marston to believe that women were superior to men and would eventually run the world because they were more trustworthy and less aggressive than men. In a 1943 essay, he wrote, Women's strong qualities have become despised because of their weak ones. The obvious remedy is to create a feminine character with all the strengths of a Superman, plus all the allure of a good and beautiful woman. Marston's solution was the creation of Wonder Woman, and he drew inspiration from Munstenberg when creating the villain Dr. Psycho. Finally, remember earlier when I mentioned Marston's interest in the suffrage movement? A crucial spark toward that influence came when he witnessed suffragists chain themselves to a fence in protest. Chains were used symbolically within this movement to signify women's emancipation from enslavement. This led to an ongoing theme in Wonder Woman comics, where she was constantly chained up by her enemies. Marston's allegory for female liberation through birth control. Sanger herself published a collection of letters from women titled Motherhood in Bondage, describing the lack of birth control as akin to slavery. Now, to be fair, while Marston may have worked progressive themes like this into his Wonder Woman stories, there's still evidence that he suppressed his first wife's career while taking credit for her ideas. Hopefully, this will be explored more in the upcoming biopic, Professor Marston and the Wonder Women. If not, we've always got Gal Gadot's second outing as Princess Diana in the summer of 2017 as an opportunity to explore Marston's genesis for the heroine. Here's hoping her 76th year treats her a little bit better than 2016 did. Next up, staff editor Eve's Jeff Cote and our freelance writer Julia Layton explore a troubling trend in American public schools, stringent use of exclusionary punishments like suspensions. U.S. public schools suspended 2.8 million students, or about 6% of its student population, during the 2013-14 school year. That's about 10% more than 2000 numbers and more than double the suspension rates of the 1970s. 
Suspensions rose dramatically with the widespread adoption of zero-tolerance policies in the 1990s. Schools mandated suspension for any student bringing a weapon onto campus amid growing concern about crime and violence in schools. But according to the UCLA Civil Rights Project, most suspensions in the 2009-10 to school year were for offenses like tardiness, disrupting class, and violating dress codes. Many education experts think suspension is a poor approach to school discipline. It doesn't address the issues that may cause a student's problematic behavior, especially when some students see it as a holiday. But inefficacy may be the least of school suspension's problems. An alarmingly vast body of research suggests discipline in many U.S. public schools could be ruining students' lives. The U.S. Department of Education reports that a student who is suspended or expelled during preschool or elementary school is up to 10 times more likely to face jail time later in life. A 2012 study out of Johns Hopkins University found that a single suspension in ninth grade doubles a student's risk of dropping out, a major predictor for incarceration. Experts say exclusionary punishment is a main entry point to the school-to-prison pipeline that carries students away from school and into the criminal justice system. The pipeline has a short version, where schools involve law enforcement in matters of school discipline. In 2011 to 2012, police arrested 92,000 students for in-school offenses. But in the longer version, suspension causes the student to fall behind, fail academically, face embarrassment among peers, and continue to misbehave. The school issues more suspensions, and the student finally drops out. Responding to student misbehavior can be a subjective process, and zero-tolerance policies tend to be open to interpretation. School officials often determine what is and isn't suspension-worthy on a case-by-case basis, and sometimes these decisions are controversial. Like when a first grader in Delaware was suspended for bringing his Cub Scout camping utensil to class. Problems also arise when officials apply zero-tolerance policies arbitrarily and with racial bias. In the U.S., black students are three times more likely than white students to be suspended. Males, American Indians, Alaska Natives, and disabled students are also overrepresented in the suspended population. Yet suspensions often don't improve student behavior. Considering the failure and discrimination of school suspension policies, more effective measures of discipline are critical. U.S. schools are trying to change their ways. Many schools are trading rampant suspension for research-based discipline models. Some take the restorative justice approach, which focuses on repairing the harm done through community cooperation. And some limit police involvement in discipline. Also, Texas took disruption of class off its list of Class C misdemeanors in 2013. Overall, the move to reform is showing results. The 2.8 million suspensions in 2013 to 2014 were actually a 20% reduction from the previous school year. Finally this week, staff editor Christopher Hasiotis and our freelance writer Patrick J. Kiger have some practical advice for us regarding how we charge our smartphones. Admit it, you're a heavy-duty smartphone user. And that includes just about everybody these days, since the average American spends 4.7 hours each day gazing at and tapping that little screen. So you know how agonizing it is to tear yourself away from cat videos and plug your phone into a charger to replenish the battery. After all, some smartphones can take hours to fully charge. So listen, you may have heard that you can reduce your separation anxiety a bit by following one simple tip. While charging, switch your phone to airplane mode. The thinking is that the phone won't spend energy trying to connect with the outside world, thereby speeding up the charging process. So, that's what you've heard, but does it actually work? 
As it turns out, the answer is yes. In fact, mobile provider Verizon actually recommends it. The reason why the trick succeeds is that while your phone is in its regular mode, it's continually trying to signal cell towers and pinpoint your location. And even though your phone most likely has assisted GPS, which calculates your location coordinates using the cell phone network rather than satellites, the function still burns up a lot of juice. That's because the location finding stops your phone from going into full-on energy-saving sleep mode. So when you switch to airplane mode, you turn off reception of those radio transmissions, and as a result, your smartphone charges more quickly. But don't get too hyped up, because it's not likely to save you that much more time. When the website CNET tested the proposition a few years ago, airplane mode only shaved four minutes off a phone's total charging time in one trial, and 11 minutes in another, a fraction of the overall time. Still, if you're in a pinch and just have a few minutes to charge, it may help, and it certainly won't slow things down. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Further thanks to our audio producer, Dylan Fagan, and our editorial liaisons, Allison Loudermilk and Christopher. Subscribe to Now Now for more of the latest science news, and send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover, plus a photo from your local women's march. You can send us an email at nowpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And, of course, for lots more stories like these, head on over to our home planet, now.howstuffworks.com. Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.